14 minutes it is before 8 p.m. And we take a look at the big stories in the world of business uh, on this uh, Tuesday. And I'm joined on the line to take a look at this by Annalisa Tuswa, independent business journalist. Annalisa, good evening to you and welcome. Hi, hi. Uh, Annalisa, let's maybe start off here. Um, Avis uh, budget and uh, rent a car uh, set to uh, see nearly half of their workforce affected by retrenchments here. And it, uh, I guess uh, it doesn't need any further explanation. We're not flying anymore. We're not traveling as much. And therefore, on that basis, uh, very few of us uh, have the need to hire a vehicle. And uh, that's had a massive impact on the operations uh, of this particular entity. I think, like you said, I, uh, the the Avis business model is really highly dependent. If I think about 75%, if not 80% of its actual business um, comes through from the airport. So if there's no one flying, then there is no one hiring a car. Mm. Um, and remember, we had a good two months where you, well, I mean, even now the ban is still um, active, but you can't just, you couldn't get on a flight and you couldn't move to another province. Uh, without certain documentation. So with things like that, it makes it a bit difficult for you to even go and hire a car. Mm. Um, so I think it's, 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 it's just another sad story or another opportunity for any business to relook at their model and see what they can do with the stuff that they'll be left with. Because I, I'm, I'm quite concerned in, in most of the businesses that you're coming out after two months saying that you can't afford to run the business anymore. How, it, it, it just reveals a bit an, another side of business that they were also leaving on mm. small budgets or mouth-to-mouth if I put it that way in business terms. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Annalisa, we know that uh, you know um, these guys, Avis and uh, Budget and Rent-A-Car, uh, a part of the Parler World Group, and uh, you know, there's a massive player here, uh, certainly one of the uh, more than 100 year old entities here in South Africa in the logistics, management, services, and distribution sectors of the economy. And um, uh, it's quite clear here that um, you know, uh, there are other business lines in the Parler World stable that might also be affected by uh, some of the challenges that have been faced by the auto business. Look, I, like I said, I think when, like you alluded to it, it's it, it's quite tragic on how the business itself is is, is structured. Um, but it seems like some of their businesses are actually doing well, um, or they will be actually doing well. So I I don't know in 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 how I can explain it on the layman's terms, mm. but I don't think in in overall it's bad for Balawald. I, I don't want to put it that way. I don't want to say it's bad news for Balawald. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Let's shift our attention now to uh, MediClinic. And uh, they uh, put out uh, some guidance uh, today on, uh, I guess, um, occupations as well. And also uh, some guidance on uh, the revenue and earnings performance for the year ending March. And, uh, of course, only a few days, I think about four days or so, uh, would uh, have coincided with the lockdown period. So so much of this doesn't really take into account uh, what has happened in the last two months or so uh, with the containment measures of COVID-19. But um, it is interesting nonetheless. I mean, one of the first things they said was that uh, only 5% of their beds have been occupied by COVID-19 patients. Um, and uh, that, you know, if they were to be required, they'd be able to do this on a recovery basis and give some of the ICU beds uh, to COVID patients at cost. But what do you make of uh, how they've performed? I mean, we saw, um, I guess, their top-line revenue numbers performing well, but uh, not so good on uh, that operating profit number. Look, I think on the operating side, um, I saw that their net loss was close to 
394 million dollars. That's roughly around about six billion in rand. Wow. Um, and they're saying that on the 77 hospitals um, across its region, they've had to actually suspend some capital expenditure, meaning that they're trying also to stay afloat, if I were to put it that way. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think. If we're going to do a focus for them, it's going to be a bit tricky, as they've mentioned that about COVID patients only occupy about five percent of their of their patients. I was in hospital, I think, in two weeks back, mm. and the process of just getting admitted when you're not a patient, a COVID patient, is quite pedantic. Mm. Was this with the same group, or, it's or are the you same just saying in group. general? Oh, okay. It's the same group, mm. and it's it's quite pedantic, but it's so it's such a conscious. And highly regulated system that if you're a non-pa- non-covered patient and you're trying to get into hospital, mm. you you have to go through so much that you'd rather just be at home, even though you're not feeling well. So it, I think business, as much as they did well in headline in, in headline side, I think looking forward they're going to struggle a bit. Um, mm. I think they should expect more net losses if for the rest of the year. Okay. And uh, certainly, just as we close off on that MediClinic one, uh, also suspending their final dividend there to uh, preserve yeah. liquidity, and uh, announcing some changes to their board as well, uh, the uh, resign- uh, retirement of Desmond Smith, and also Tom Singer coming in as uh, a non-executive director, and uh, Dame Inga Beale uh, also uh, coming in a non-executive function on that board. But um, let's shift our attention now to uh, some of the remarks that were made by. Um, the Registrar of Banks, and uh, certainly not somebody uh, who talks a lot here, the Deputy Governor of uh, the Reserve Bank, Kuben Naidu. He was on a call with um, uh, one of the um, uh, asset managers over the last day or so, and uh, saying that of the 200 billion rand loan guarantee scheme that's been extended to the banks to on-lend uh, to uh, uh, small and medium-sized firms, and those turning over less than 30 million rand, uh, only about 2 to 3 billion rand per bank uh, has been issued, and uh, I guess this uh, speaks volumes about uh, the other challenge is that you can put a guarantee in place, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that people are going to actually take up your loans. I think, I mean, two to two three billion. He on on the Reserve Bank side, he says it's still too early. He believes that in the long term, businesses will try and utilize the available funds. I. I think we, I've seen the BBC, um, the Black Business Council, coming out raising a couple of concerns. And I, I have to agree with them, Aya, because the available funds, right, they've been made available and they're coming through via the banks. Mm. One of the conditions that are coming out of how, how you can access the fund is the fact that you need to be in good standing with the banks. And the money is distributed only via the banks. One... I think the the first condition that I, I, I feel like is a bit exclusionary is the fact that you need to be in good condition with the banks. Businesses that were doing well before the lockdown, I don't require much saving even now. Some of those businesses that we're seeing that are drowning now, we're not doing well even before the lockdown. That means that the two to three billion is catering for someone who just needs to pay salaries and or just try and keep afloat for this month alone and they have great prospects of resuming production in the next month or so. Mm. So I think when business, when Black Business Council raised the issue, when this was even launched, actually, I I didn't look into it. But now that we're looking into it, I feel like if we don't expand 
the, the requirements for that loan. It sounds like I'm entertaining reckless lending. But if we don't, inter- if we don't mm. expand the conditions for that scheme, a lot of businesses are going to be left out yeah, of the system. And, and I mean, I, I don't think you're encouraging reckless uh, lending by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I mean the whole idea is that, uh, you know, this is about freeing some of these banks up to take yeah. on a bit more risk. Now, that doesn't necessarily imply that, you know, they should go out and uh, lend to people who have no realistic prospect of being able to pay back the money. I mean, the, of course, that would be reckless. But the idea is that, if the government's going to take the downside, if the government takes the risk of default uh, by putting in place a guarantee to, to the tune of around half of this 200 billion rand and maybe with the prospect of another half uh, being put up by the government, surely that would call for some relaxation or leniency in terms of the credit scoring requirements and by extension, I guess, some of the hoops people have to go over before they get money from the banks. My point exactly, Aya, and I think this is the conversation that I've, like I think a lot of people don't want to have. We've seen how relaxed the 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 loan or the what do you guys call them on 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 the consumer side of it, on your individual banking side of it. People are getting loan holidays. I mean, I know someone who who got a loan holiday or a, a holiday a payment holiday without even having to apply for it. Mm. And those are just on individual basis. And you look at the business side, it seems like it's a bit. The, the rules are catering for the already existing or the already big businesses that have had systems in place. And I, like I said, I find it so exclusionary. Mm. So I, I, I think, I mean, I, 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 I called Bonolo from BBC just before the call to just to, to, to see how far they were, because I believe the Black Business Council also raised a couple of concerns, like we said, that they feel like it's, it's, it is exclusionary, but there are ways around mm. it that we can say. And they're saying they've actually been able to not necessarily twist Treasury's arm to look at some of these requirements. So they, it seems like they've been able to actually gain access on, it shouldn't just be distributed via the banks only. Even non-bank funders should actually gain access to the fund to help out mm. in, in the dispersion process. So I think from in the next few days, we'll see a bit of movement or sure, change sure. in the numbers. And I guess the other, the other dimension that we, we should have considered um, in this, uh, and when I say we, I mean all of us as South Africans, uh, as we continue to iterate and continuously improve uh, this guarantee, if it's going to be with us beyond COVID, and, and I guess this applies to, to all of the other uh, programs that we've put in that are new, um, is to really think about how you can use this as an opportunity to capitalize uh, many of our DFIs. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, the National Empowerment Foundation and a few others, uh, the likes of CIFA and, uh, you know, who already have existing relationships with entrepreneurs on their loan book um, and who can be able to use this as a space to renegotiate some of those instruments uh, and not only just rely on some of the commercial banks. I mean, that's that's certainly my view uh, from where we're sitting. But before I let you go, Annalisa, just on, on the Reserve Bank, uh, you would certainly have been following many of the uh, discussions around uh, the role that they should play and how they should use the instruments at their disposal. We've already seen a 275 basis point cut. Uh, uh, what do you make of how... Uh, the governor, Lesecha Khanyaho, has responded. Uh, we saw he was uh, on a TV interview over the last day or so, uh, really responding to some of the, uh, I guess, issues in the public discourse about some people who are saying the bank should do this or they should do that or the other. Look, I mean, I think we've had this discussion before, but I, I, I think the response that we keep getting from the governor is that it's not the central bank's role. Um, and I think a year ago, we wouldn't have even assumed that there would even be 
buying government government securities in and like they did in April. Mm. So I think there's a I think there's a there's a very good trend when we are near like when it comes to the Reserve Bank. Like mm. so there's an entire I, I what, wall the of China around it, around the <laughs> bank and but but on what basis I mean why would you think he would want to do that uh, create this sort of uh, uh, a ring of fire around the central bank, if I can put it that way, or to even create this uh, sort of boundary line around the activities and the inst- and the use of the instruments that the bank has at its disposal. Why do you think you'd do that? I think it, it, it's a it's a it's a bit political than it's more political than economics. Mm. Um, and, and and when I say it's a bit political, I mean I'm not a political analyst, but I think we've seen so many state-owned entities wherever the government puts in their hand in it mm. or they get into the governance of it, we see, we, we've seen how things collapse. Um, we've seen how funds go missing. And to have the powers that the Reserve Bank has in the wrong hand could put us in a very... In a, I think in a space of five years could collapse the economy. So I think once... And I, again, I'm, I'm coming from an economic perspective and trying to discuss politics. And mm. I think once the, the, the governor gets to see that we are in a different governance, if I were to put it that way, than we were four years ago, that even the conversation that we have, we've got people who are in the same line of thinking as he is. I think he would be less hostile around mm. governing that. Well, it's not even governing. I mean, he, it's, it's just managing the institution. Maybe we gave him the wrong title and called him the governor. But he is literally governing the institution like it's a private entity Whee! that is off the you South African society. And, and I guess these are some of the things we're going to pick up with him because we're going to be speaking to him, uh, you know, just after half past eight this evening under the microscope. Lesetja Khanyakho is going to join us, uh, the governor of the Central Bank, the South African Reserve Bank. And uh, we're going to speak to him about the issue that um, uh, Annalisa is raising about, you know, this uh, f- uh, wall of fire around the uh, South African Reserve Bank and uh, questions of independence and acting uh, privately um, as opposed to maybe, I guess, uh, as uh, some uh, uh, ANC members have suggested, uh, having a nationalized reserve bank uh, that uh, works directly in the national interest. Well, Constitution still uh, enshrines the independence of the bank. And the big question, is that an independence in the use of the instruments or just, I guess, the organizational independence of the organization as a whole? And we'll pick up some of those issues with the governor later on in our discussions. Annalisa, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Aya.